0: This is the Build Your Network podcast, episode 386.
1: Hey, this is Brent Benedict, the author of The 3-Minute Rule. And if you want to learn how to successfully invest in your connections, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show Today I am super stoked to be out in the LA area interviewing the legend of all things pitching, Mr. Brant Pinvitic. That's the legend
1: of all things pitching. Yeah. That, that just sums it right up right yeah. there. So. Yeah, so I guess we can <laughs> take off, huh? That's it. <laughs> That's <done>. it. <laughs> And thank you. So um,
0: listen, man, I mean, there's so many things that we could go into. I feel like I'm catching myself saying that a lot more recently with the people that I'm talking to, but yeah. uh, there's just so many intriguing parts of the story. But I always, always, always like to go back and put a little bit of context for everybody that may not not know who you actually are and what you've done yeah like most um, people <laughs> yeah uh, I find it I find it super fascinating to have the background that you have coming up in just like middle of nowhere Canada type yep. of thing and then now being so involved in the Hollywood scene and everything else that you've been able to do in your career so let's start back there talk to me like let's go way back here talk to me about like middle school Brant. like what was on your mind at that point
1: you know middle school Brant was really mature in some ways Intellectually, but really immature in all the other ways that count. So I had a really hard time sort of matching these verbal skills I had and the ability and my big thought process with actual maturity. So it really, it was rough and I always pictured doing big things. I wanted to be an American since I was probably eight years old. Oh, really? That was always my goal to be an American
0: for a particular reason.
1: Or... Um, There was just something about the celebratory nature of the country and the way that they like, america loves heroes they love people to do well mm. and canada has a little bit less of like that. It's a very reserved culture in that way and i always had an issue with that there was one time really early where we had a sprinter named ben johnson who had won the 100 meter and the fastest man in the world it was the greatest thing ever yeah and i remember that his rival was on i think it was either johnny carson or jay leno or somebody at the time and they were saying hey listen um, Carl, you know, because you run the 200 meter, actually, after you get up to full speed, you're actually running faster than Ben Johnson ever runs because in the 200 and everybody starts cheering. And it was this whole <laughs> thing. And I was thinking to myself, the hundred meter has always been traditionally the fastest man in the world. Yeah. But the Americans love their people so much. They're like, Hey man, just, we'll just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, most people would be like, Nye. and I was like, yes, <laughs> that's what I want. And then I saw a movie called varsity blues. Hmm. And I was like, "Where are the cheerleaders in whipped cream bikinis for me?" (laughs) Like, we didn't have cheerleaders at my school. We don't have football. It just there was something about the way American culture appealed to me, and I always thought I would be here. I just didn't know how to get here.
0: Yeah, yeah. and
1: so I batted my head against the wall for years. So school as an entrepreneur,
0: was school something that was a positive or negative experience for you? Neutral. School
1: was pretty neutral. It was pretty easy. Um, I had a pretty easy time with the or the course load and stuff okay, okay. but I didn't really put a lot of value in it it was more like I just did it because it came natural and I did whatever I, the minimum I needed to do to get by Yeah. but it was the entrepreneurial side that came and I, and I do a big keynote on this where I talk about it like you know being an entrepreneur when I was a kid was because you had no other marketable skills and you couldn't hold a job you had to go be an entrepreneur right there was no mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk making it cool right right so yeah. That was, I did, I just
0: didn't well, not, do it not even well. just not cool, but probably in a lot of cultures and family situations, probably not even acceptable. Yeah. It was right? just
1: like, like,
0: whatever. Yeah.
1: And, and that was fine. I just couldn't make mm. anything work. If I had made a business work, yeah. then that would have been. Great, but I couldn't make anything work. I could get it started, I could come up with big ideas and envision it, get people excited, raise money. But the operation of a business I was hmm.
0: terrible at. It. So and and when you're talking about these businesses, is this high school, college, like a, Yeah, starting in high school I
1: started my okay. own businesses. I was running teen dances, I had a website company. I mean I just I did lots of stuff. I owned sure. bars, I owned nightclubs, pool just halls. Always
0: had the itch then. Always. always
1: And it was just sort of like I'd get a big idea and I would just chase it down, you know? Do you do that and more that was,
0: as genetics or um
1: I think it's more vision. Like I had vision for what could be Hmm. and potential. And I really saw it clearly. Yeah. And I had a pretty good ability to make other people see it. I just was, I had a real problem with execution. That was Hmm. more my issue. And I just always believed that this delusional optimism that, I was gonna be able to make this one work. Yeah. So, I mean, and when it failed, it was just like, oh, I had six other things to blame, and it's like I'm
0: off to the next, one. It, it, off to the next one. So that's the, yeah. that's I, I think that's a huge point right there. Is what you're talking about is that um, I think for people like you who see a certain level of success in life, it's just kind of a belief system that you have where it's not a if. I'm successful. It's just a, until I'm successful. Like yeah. one of these, like, hey, this one didn't work out, and this one didn't work out, and I failed again. But we're gonna get back on the horse, and like, it's just gonna, it's yeah. gonna happen. There, there's but no and if, your definition
1: right? of success is always different. To other sure, people, right? Sure. I never grew up believing that I was gonna be a multimillionaire. Hmm. I just wanted to find a like a way to pay the bills and do it consistently. I remember when I was would have been 18, and I had my own pool hall, and I was just thinking if I could just make two thousand dollars a month consistently mm. like I could live the rest of my life like that that's right. all I need and that was sort of my vision of it'd be nice if things went really well but like that's really was my goal for a while because the failures to put that together yeah sort of got me to the point where it's like I just need something to cling to right just need a monicum of success you know
0: right so from 18 owning a pool hall up in Canada what's next after that did you end up going to college out there I know you were in Victoria right? yeah Victoria, Victoria so you
1: know and listen Canada going away to college that whole thing is not a real Canadian culture like we don't travel to go to college most mm. people so you go you go to the University to the local, of Victoria right. you you know you take classes it's not a it's not the same experience it do fraternities like, right, right. it wasn't like that but for me it was you know what was the next business when a new opportunity came I was jumping into that gotcha. and so I started um, a big restaurant nightclub in the middle of Canada in Regina Saskatchewan. And that, again, didn't work. But what had happened was, is there was, on Sunday nights, we would do, and Sunday during the day, actually, we would do these NFL games, and okay. people would come watch the game, and then they'd bugger off out of the bar right away. And I was like, ah, I gotta come up with a way to keep them in the bar. Right. So I'd come up with these weird, wacky games that we could play after the game at halftime and whatnot, and it kept people in the bar. So when I lost the bar, moved back home, had nothing to do, I was sort, you know, I had this idea that this would be a great TV show, mm-hmm. right? And I tried a radio show with my friends at his nightclub and we were doing it live on the internet. The internet went down. And so it turned into this sort of live show at this nightclub. And yeah. I was like, Hey, we know we used to play all these games. We should do that. And people were going crazy. I was like, we're going to make this a TV show. So I had heard the word pilot before I knew what a sort of pilot was. Yeah. So I just told everybody, Hey, I'm making a pilot for a big network. Nobody really asked a lot of questions because yeah. nobody knew anything about TV okay. back then. <laughs> and I did one in Victoria in this little town and I had a bunch of people come film it at this nice club. And, it sort of worked like it was cool, but I couldn't sell it. Nobody was interested in even taking meetings. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just go do more of them. Then you have to buy it because I have one at every city. Yeah. So I went and toured across the country with my own money, raising money, trying to get sponsors, almost had the whole thing covered. Did 11 cities across Canada, came back, couldn't sell it. <laughs> Damn it. So I figured, well, it's because when we went in the 11 cities, we were promising a big prize at the end, but I never really delivered the prize. It's almost like the finale wasn't done. Oh, so I raise money, go do a whole thing go down to Cancun, take all the winners, film this thing. Yeah. Come back. Can't sell it. (laughs) Nope. Everybody's just, I can't understand it. And then one TV executive, I wish I could remember her name because I'd love to put her on blast, but she was at one of the big channels in Canada and she said, listen, what are you doing? Like, I would never buy this crap. First of all, I could buy Friends for $50,000 an episode. Why would I buy this thing? Okay. And I was like, it's can Canadian content. It It counts. You're so dumb. It doesn't qualify as Canadian content. You filmed it outside of Canada. You're not a woman with, like you don't get enough points, right? There's yeah, points. Right, right. This thing is worthless. You're never gonna sell it. And I was just like, oh my God. And part of what she was saying was 100% true. It wasn't Canadian content,
0: but. So this is like early 20s that you're doing this. Yeah,
1: right? I'm, yeah, I'm like 24 years
0: old. Okay, so I know there's more to this story, but yeah. just before we get into that, yeah. Um, Travis, just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast, indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Why, w- w- like what possessed you to think like all these people are wrong. I'm going to keep doing this. Like every time you would go out and do something, right? So you, you set up, th- so you're like, okay, we're going to tour the country. You go yeah. do that. You come back. Nobody buys it. Okay. Well, we just messed this one thing up. Cause these are all just hunches, right? Like you don't, oh, you're not getting this advice from some like full big on Hollywood hunches executive and,
1: and just <laughs> absolute, just
0: a big hunch. And then like, I'm gonna go raise money. Let's go to Cancun. Let's film this. It's then, more than, yeah.
1: it's more than, a, it's an arrogant <laughs> lack of knowledge that makes you think, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Would and you say that
0: was beneficial or it depends?
1: And yeah. I, when I, when I speak on stage, I talk about this is my story, a cautionary tale or an inspirational journey. Mm. It's a little of both, but you don't want to follow my roadmap.
0: Mm.
1: So, but what happened was is every time somebody wouldn't do something, I just figured they didn't understand it properly. Gotcha. They couldn't see all the details. If I could make them see it, they'd understand it. They'd be interested. Yeah. And, but because of the Canadian system, I wasn't getting the right meetings. I wasn't. So I just figured I needed more than it. Then it would be undeniable. And they would have to accept it. And I could build and I could see the business. Sponsorships and, and you know, uh, beer companies. I I could see it, just couldn't quite put it all together. And I figured that it was just a little bit of, you know, pieces that I needed to find and, and illustrate, it, right? But I had finally got a producer in Can in Canada, in Vancouver, to reach out and connect me to a producer friend in Los Angeles who was like five degrees from a real producer. And I just begged, <laughs> "Could would you please take a look at this? And she was like, listen, just send it to me. And I was like, my whole life's in this. I'm living in my parents' basement. My two-year-old child, like I'm flying down. Will you please just take a meeting? And she's like, fine, come down. So I, you know, I took the meeting. I showed her all the stuff. Now at the time in television, nobody was going out to make teaser tapes and make, you know, example reels of their shows. You were walking with a napkin saying, Hey, I want to take 16 girls and have them compete for one eligible bachelor. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let's try eight episodes. Right? (laughs) So when people saw that, they kind of freaked out and I got this sort of a, this legendary reputation around town. Who's this Canadian kid running around this amazing project. And I sold it to NBC. I got job offers and I moved to the United States like 30 days later. Wow. And that was the end of my Canadian life right Uh, there. What was that show? It was called the ultimate party quest. And NBC bought it. We never made it, which was the crazy. After all of this, right, we right. never made it. But it changed the perception of what I could do because I moved here and my agent, Sean Perry, who, at WMA, who is still my agent 18 years later, wow. said to me, listen, that pitch that you did was so impressive. Everybody's talking about it. From now on, every pitch that we take out, you have to do it at that level because that's, that could be your reputation. That could be your calling card. Wow. You have to do that. So I did, and it worked exactly like that. And I remember when I, early, like six months later, I had sold a show, a pilot to CMT, and we were in Vegas doing a focus group, and the guy running the focus group comes out from behind the glass, and me and the network president sitting right there, and he says, hey, uh, do you guys want to do the slide or the dial test for real-time interactions? And the president of the network stopped and turned to me and said, "Uh, Brent, I don't know, you've done this more than I have, what do you want to do? (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, I love the slide. Let's just do that. You know, but what had happened was, is everybody was getting their job in reality TV at that time. It was just kind of a new genre. Hmm. And so they just assumed I was one of them. Nobody asked questions. They just knew I had a crazy hot project and the pitches that I were making were at super top level. And so they just assumed I was one of them. And then they, you know, then they dig the moat, pull the drawbridge up and now it's impossible. Then it started being possible to get in. But I just sort of fit into that. And I remember specifically driving down the 405 with my convertible Sebring. You know, my wife and I, we, like, she never made more. We lived on her salary because I kept losing money everywhere in Canada. She never made more than like no, 40000 thousand, $42,000, right? Yeah. My first contract in the U.S. in Los Angeles was $110,000. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a year contract. They're going to figure out I'm a fraud. And they're going to send me back home. But like, this is going to be the greatest year ever. And I was driving in this convertible... Sebring, I had a Blackberry that the company was paying for and I'm sending Christmas notes, hey can't wait to see you after the break, hey Merry Christmas man, what a great year great meeting you and I realized in seven months in the United States I had more people that I cared about, interacted with, that Mm -hmm. cared about me, that supported me than I did in 30 years growing up in Canada Wow. and it's like this is my home and these are my people and so when I coach CEOs when I coach kids or college kids I say the same thing like you have to find your people, yeah. and wherever that is, and the time you're putting in now, where if it's a struggle or you're grinding it out, like that's preparing you for when you find your people and your place, and it will all come together. It's not a waste of time now. It's like going to the gym; hmm. you put in the yeah. exercise now, you're going to see results at some point later. But you you got to be willing to put in the efforts, and that's what I did in Canada. I did that for you know almost 30 years, and then all of a, then then all the skills that I had developed were valuable in this
0: one spot. Yeah, so obviously, relationship building was pretty key to a lot of those different things. Like even just sprinkled throughout your story, crucial. Well, yeah, you know this this one producer put me in touch with this other, you know, producer who put me in touch with this producer. Then I got in this room. How how much has that affected, um, you know, your success, especially in an industry that's just insanely competitive it's the core of my success is built on my abilities
1: to create racial relationships. Mm-hmm. There is no other version. Yes. I pitch incredibly well and I created some really great shows that helps. Yeah. But the next level is because I spent the time and the effort to make those relationships. Now for me, there was two big pieces. It was one, it was the first time I was around people that were that level of success, that level of content and willing to support you. And the Canadian system is a little bit more mm-hmm. like, I don't want you to succeed yeah. if I can't succeed. Whereas the U S system, particularly in entertainment is like, let's all rock and roll.
0: Right. The more successful you yeah. are, the more successful I am. So
1: I found everybody that I met and made a connection with, like I really enjoyed and I liked those people and they liked me. And that was a feeling I just didn't have hmm. in Canada. I never felt liked or supported. Hmm. I felt more tolerated Yeah. sometimes.
0: Yeah, and that of, just was tough for me. Just like almost always on the outside. Yeah. The and people line.
1: are like, well, you're such a, Idiot! Like, right. what a dumbass like, you are! Like, what are you doing? Yeah, right. yeah, like, oh, like that's the feeling I got. And in in here in Los Angeles, in LA, it was totally different. So I loved connecting with people because it was something that I would get uh, the vibe back right away. Yeah. That's super exciting. But also, I realized that it could I could bring value to people. So I and this, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I, and this was you wouldn't know this because mm-hmm. it feels natural. You watch me with people, you think it's just natural, but no. Like I had a spreadsheet of every single person I ever met in Los Angeles. When I met them, what we talked about, when I was going to see them next. And I made sure I connected with every single person in a three-month window. Mm -hmm. There isn't a person in town that I've ever known that doesn't hear from me every three months. Wow. End of story. I know when their deal's up. I know when they get a new job. I know when they're coming to the end of a job because that's when people are in their most vulnerable. And I would call people and say, hey, isn't your deal coming up? Yeah. And it's like, oh, man. So I've been hearing lots of good things about you around town. You want me to put a word in for you anywhere? Yeah. And it's like that. Is you know bringing value to someone? It's ingratiating yourself to somebody. It just says like, "Hey, you're important." I send emails every day, ten every single day. Hey, yeah. man, thinking about you, because I am. I think about right. people. Who in right. my life do I dig? Who do I like? Who yeah. do I remember? And somebody will pop in their head, and I go write that email. Hey, thinking about you. I will write an actual goddamn physical letter.
0: Wait, what? When was the last time you
1: did <laughs> that? When was the last time you got one of those? Yeah. Imagine you right. open up a, in your mailbox and there's a letter. And it's a card with Brant Pinvidic's logo on the bottom. It says, hey, Chuck, I was just thinking about you, man. Really Mm -hmm. liked our interview. Wanted to hope you're doing well. You're like, what the hell? (laughs) Right? Because I take that time. Because I get off on knowing how much people appreciate that. And like, I I joke on the stage all the time. I am one chromosome from being a caveman. Right? (laughs) It is not hard to get on my good books. You just got to make me feel good. Like, all I want to do is is feel awesome. So yeah. when people tell me I'm great, when people tell me they appreciate me, it's like, I just fill up
0: Yeah, right.
1: simple, simple stuff. And I find if I'm nice to people and make an effort to do well by them, they love that. Mm. And they give me what I want, which is appreciation. Yeah. And so I'm out sniffing around like a rabid dog looking for appreciation. And that's what those connections do for you.
0: Okay, so this one has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to announce the launch of my new company, World Class Media. I've been doing podcast coaching and consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years, and over the last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests. So in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution, as well as monthly production and repurposing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be the most powerful business development tool in your arsenal. Imagine having something that is constantly engaging your ideal client, even when you're sleeping, or that allows you to connect with the top people in your industry to build your network and establish credibility, or that allows you to help listeners that are currently outside of your sphere of influence, or that helps you get book deals or speak on more stages or create content once that we can repurpose and distribute across all the platforms for you. That is the power of a world-class podcast that's done the right way. So if you're interested in starting a show, but you just don't have the time, the resources, or desire to figure out all the tech stuff, the hosting, the equipment, the platforms, the production... Then you just focus on what you do best, which is serving your clients and running your business. And then let my team focus on what we do best, which is creating world-class chart-topping podcasts. Let's at least hop on a call and chat about it because I'm fairly picky with the people that I work with, and I only work with people who I genuinely think are going to be able to absolutely crush it with a new show. So head over to travischappell.com slash podcast. That's make slash podcast, and we'll chat real soon. So much of what we teach here on the show is exactly what you just said. That last like three minute segment is yeah. going to make a great clip, Eric. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it is, and and I find the same exact thing. Anytime I, I write a handwritten thank you or something like that to somebody, yeah. it, there's no financial things. You don't have to buy them something. You just send them, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Really yeah. appreciate your and time. And you,
1: but you got to know who to send that to.
0: Yeah. Here's the, the thing. Particular person.
1: Yeah. Like if you if you meet me. And we're not peers. Yeah. And you send that to me. It's like, I know you're trying to get to be my friend because I'm at a certain level and you're mm. new, like that happens. Mm. Okay. You got to know who and where your peer level is. And I was in on a conference just the other day and I, and there's a guy talking about how to make connections and how to reach out to people on LinkedIn and tell them that you, you know, what you can do for them, find value for them. And it's like, I get that two years ago. Yeah. That might have worked, but now it's like everybody who sends me an email or reaches out blindly on LinkedIn or or Twitter or whatever is trying to provide value for me. Yeah. Well, it's like guess what? You can't, right? Yeah. And it's not fair to everybody think that you got it. You can't provide value to me. Yeah. Some people can, and the people who can provide value to me aren't reaching out. They just do it. They, they're they they're beyond what I'm doing. They right. want, you know, like that's the world. You want to hang out in the crowd with the, at the party with sure. the people who don't want you there. Sure, That's the way our lives are. You gotta accept that. So when you find peers, that's who you reach out to. When it's not your peer, it's okay to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and say, hey, listen, I'm a big fan. I think what you do is great. I'm just starting out. I could really use some advice. I can't do anything for you. Yeah. I can't bring value to your life. But if you'd be willing to help me out a little bit, you know, any advice would be great. That will make more of an impression with me than anybody who sends mm-hmm. me like, I can do this for you. I can mm-hmm. do that for you. Yeah. Let's work together. Let's cross over. Like I'm just, the world is very cynical. So you gotta be careful with that. And so the gestures that you do in the efforts to make connections, you gotta be really careful because people will sense that and you gotta yeah. know where you sit in the peer level, you know, got it. and you're always going to be, f- quote unquote faking it up one level mm-hmm. i still do it today yeah you yeah. know the people on the in my world that i'm friends with it's like i'm i've reached to get up to that level right. now right. they're
0: doing the same thing And to your credit like yeah to put yourself in those positions to be able to capitalize right. on like what what you're saying earlier about yeah finding yourself in that room where yeah. this guy is was, was asking you for advice on something and you're just kind of like Oh, um, you know, yeah. here is the answer. Well, and I, you know? I have
1: this, when I talk about social media and I do a sort of a seminar on that kind of stuff, but I, my first slide in the seminar is I am not as rich and famous as you think I am. <laughs> that's just a fact. And nobody really is. Yeah. Okay. Nobody actually is. And that's just the way our lives are. Right. And I'm not as important. I don't wield as much power as people think. It's just not the way we're, and nobody really does. That's right. the funny thing. So, right. You got to kind of accept that in your world Mm. and, and be okay with that. And yeah, you know what? Online you, you play imagery, you play perception. And I talk a lot about creating perception, which is great. You want to create perception, Mm. but perception and work go hand in hand. That's the secret to success, not just perception. Cause there are a lot of people online on Instagram right now, Instagram entrepreneurs, and all they do is perception. Mm-hmm. There's no business there, right? Which, Making content for people who can't afford to hire
0: you exactly. is not a business. Exactly. So that's what I was going to say: is the people who are real sniff those people out in a second,
1: in a second, yeah. and,
0: and like they, you're, only, yes. you're only you're only convincing the people who can't even afford to pay you for anything. That's right. And right. those yeah. people
1: get smaller and smaller because they've already fallen for clickbait a few yeah. times. They've right. already been through a funnel once, once or twice. Yeah. So now there's less Turn of them burn. out there. Yep. And everybody's chasing those people to the bottom, which is just crazy. Right. It's like what we used to do in the nightclub game. You know, you'd open a new nightclub, the cool people would show up, you'd, you'd turn around and turn away all these other people. Then the cool people are like looking for the next thing. So then you have to let in a few of the B-level people. And then that shows people that, oh, I don't want to be there anymore. And then those yeah. people leave. The next thing you know, you're chasing around, anybody will come into your club, right? And that's sort of what that on, the online entrepreneur is. Where, yeah. and you know, two things, one, the book did really well. So that helps. I get to meet everybody that, you know, it's with random house. So a big publisher can put you in the room with anybody, which sure. is kind of cool. So I get to meet everybody, but also I did this for a living. Like I, 20 years, almost, I ran a, you know, major television productions in a big high level. So yeah. I know talent, I know perception of talent. I know what the public thinks, what the public wants. I know your Q scores. I know what you say your influence is, but what your real influence is. I sure. needed to trade on real influence. So I can see through all this crap and this, the number of people who are in phony pretend mode is so scary and so crazy. Yeah. And there's very few people because the people who are actually making a business are not going online to give you a free ebook.
2: Yeah. It's just right. those
1: people don't do that. Right. It's like, I, I might give you some free content or whatever, but like, I don't need anything from you. Right. If you need to pay 19.95 to get into my email list, you can't benefit from the information i have Mm. like consistently from that you need you need to grow more you need to build more like it's just a weird thing that we've gone to this thing it's like it's almost like a glorified infomercial now where it's like give me your money sign up to my group i'll send you some (laughs)
0: just an online yeah
1: i'll send you some motivation and some ideas and how to get rich and how to build your own funnels and it's like okay like Tom Vu was doing that for real estate like 20 years ago. Yeah. Like it's the same,
0: it feels like the same thing. Right, totally. So now, I like that you brought this up because um, that's one thing that, that I try to tell people, but not a lot of people are comfortable with accepting that it's a fact, which is what you're talking about in terms of knowing who your peers are like yeah. reaching up to a level above you things like that um but a lot of people just don't want to admit that there's levels and for some reason it there's it's clear right there's very clear levels at the uh, yes. success that people are operating on so how do you like if somebody's out there listening right now and they're like okay so I I we've talked about a couple of things that I shouldn't do what should I do if I if I want to try to get up that that one step higher it the one step is easy it's the two steps that's
1: difficult and what people think is they can move to the to second step and skip a step hmm. right and you know, and I have it in my world. I like I have a lot of, I have some celebrity friends and yada, yada, right? But there is a different level of celebrity friend that I know that I can't get to. Uh, Mark Cuban's a perfect example. Hmm. Worked with him, known him for years. I would tell you we're friends yeah. because it makes me look cool because Mark Cuban's my friend. <laughs> yeah. Mark Cuban would not tell you we're friends. Yeah. If you're like, hey, Brant Pembidic, he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. I can't reach, I can reach out directly to him, but it, better be something of value. We're not peers in the sense that I can just call him up and say, what's up? There's (laughs) none of that. Okay. So I know he's two steps from me Hmm. because of the way his sort of world has gone. Sure. So I'm very respectful of that. And so that gives me the access to the relationship, but I don't step over that. So when I have something that's general to go to him about, I go through the agent. When I have something that's specific, I'll send him a text or something. But I understand where I sit with that now. Yeah. Mark Cuban pre Shark Tank, that's different. Hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk, that's different. And by the way, for a lot of people, he's getting close. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Because he's starting to be a pop culture celebrity. Sure. So I've already dialed back the messages. How much I talk? Like I don't treat him like we're buddies because we're not buddies. Yeah. And that's. And that's a different thing. People have a real hard time with that. But on the first level of connection, people that are within your circle, still a little bit up in mm-hmm. success and status and connections. Um, my partner, Oren Klaff, wrote a great book called Flip the Script. Mm-hmm. And it talks a lot about what's called a flash roll. We talk about it differently, but he talks about a flash roll, which is, hey, I'm going to show you that I operate on your level. We're going to talk shop for the first 30 seconds here so I can give you a sense of like, I'm at this level with you. Hmm. And that's a really important piece to be able to do. It's, it's the classy version and the, the functional version of dropping names. Hmm. How do you drop names without in the literal sense, dropping names? How do you drop names? As in, how do you drop knowledge on someone? So they know you're someone that actually does something. If you were going to talk to somebody about doing a podcast, you could talk podcast lingo and language and details. And now all of a sudden I know that you're like, you're in this world, right? When I meet somebody I'm, you know, I'm quick to, to suss out where they, where they are, what they do, what we have in common, what skills, what areas, what do we cross over in? And when I lay that out, it's like, okay, now I know what to think about you.
0: And that's the perception I want. Now you got to go put in the work. So, so how much of that, you know, initial 30 seconds is the words that we say, you know, showing expertise versus our body language, like the way that we look, the tonality that we use,
1: unfortunately, and this has been hard for people to grasp is you can't really have one without the other. Hmm. If you have the body language and the attitude, but without the ability to back it up with what you say, people will know it's phony. Hmm. Then you're working on your quote unquote confidence. Confidence that you build is that's not confidence, that's a show. People know when a show's on. Hmm. Confidence is the value that you feel you bring to others. So, if you and I use this example on stage, let's say I was going to cater your wedding. Hmm. And for a chef, I had Gordon Ramsay. And I was walking in to pitch you and your bride to be. How many words would I need to convince you, right? Four wow. words. I have Gordon Ramsey. <laughs> Think about how I walk into that room. Think about how my shoulders are. Are they slunched over or am I back? Right. Am I smiling or am I kind of dead face? Right. 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 Because I know the value of what like, I'm about to say. You know
0: you got the goods. That's right. Yeah.
1: So I don't use a lot of words. I probably speak pretty clearly. Yeah. I probably got bright eyes and a happy face. Not my afraid chest to make is eye contact. Up. That's right. Yeah. I'm in that mode. If it was my brother-in-law, ex-convict who just got out of jail, doesn't really cook but needs a job, (laughs) how many words do I need to convince you of that? A couple hours. Right. Yeah, Maybe days. Now how do I walk in that room? Now there's two people. One person walks in the room the way they really feel, which is a little slunched over and like their hands are clenched, right? Yeah, right. And you know. And then the show guy. And then there's the show guy yeah. who comes in to try to pitch you his convict ex-brother-in-law with the yeah. same attitude. This is gonna be the best thing. And they've got yeah. the big chest out <laughs> and a big smile. Now, do you know that right away? Do you sense that? Does your bride-to-be go like, Ugh, I do not like this guy, Yeah. right? Just That's can't, the can't way the real world works. Yeah. And it used to be very, very few people would pick up on that. Yeah. And if we had a time machine, go back to the early eighties, we could pull all that stuff off. But today people are waiting yeah. For you to start with the bullshit. They are just expecting it. They've been bombarded with marketing and promises and under and clickbait and click funnels. And they're just like, yeah, go F yourself. That's their <laughs> go to model now. Right. Oh, you're going to promise me something. Yeah, I don't believe you. Yeah. That's exactly what happens now.
0: So how do we differentiate ourselves?
1: Well, I think that's what, you know, the book. For all the great elements of how to build a pitch, one of the core pieces that I get the most feedback on is it's the simplicity, hmm. right? It's how to say less and get more. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. In the early 1900s, Niagara Falls froze, okay? This raging, angry torrent of water that filled the air with this rambling sound. It was just an angry vortex of sound for years and years and years, finally shut off in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. 3 3.30 in the morning, the 5,000 people that live in Niagara are bolted out of their beds. The entire town's awake because for the first time, they heard something. The silence of the falls freezing was the loudest sound they had heard in years because they living there just tuned out that raging water. Mm, In today's world, marketing, promises, advertising, all that stuff is absolute and total raging torrent of water of information that everybody just tunes out And if you can simplify your message and get to the point and not color it with neuro linguistic programming or fancy language or big adjectives mm. you will cut through and it will be the loudest sound that people hear anywhere because they will absolutely be drawn to it and the book really teaches people that process.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high-quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking, there's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's b y n innercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than
2: you found it.